Isabella Johnston, and I am the intern whisperer and the founder of Employers for Change. Today's tip of the week is about the development of data analysis. We all recognize how the demand for data has been driving our choices. This impacts every single industry that we are active in. As the world continues to generate more data, it becomes customized and rich. So by 2030, practically all of us will be expected to understand how data affects our roles and responsibilities, as well as where to find the information we need and what tools we can use to analyze it. We will be expected to understand the rules and regulations that need to be followed to work with data fairly and ethically. Learning how to use the flow of information to do our jobs more efficiently and effectively will be high on the list of skills that employers look for in 2030. You might want to explore or brush up on data analytics using this course that's offered for free by Career Foundry. Data analytics. It is called a data analytics short course. It is ideal if you want a light touch-up introduction to data analytics, or you can sign up and you'll get access to five hands-on 15-minute lessons by Dr. Humera Noor, an, an accomplished data pro. The course provides a broad view of data analytics, setting you up to explore the topic further if you choose. Be sure to go and look for this in our show notes that you will find in the show description. Today, we're going to be welcoming our guest, Jacques Fu. So today's guest is somebody I'm super excited to have on the show. I've been looking forward to this for a while. It's Jacques Fu. He's the CEO of Sincerely. He's the co-founder of a unicorn $1 billion fintech company known as Stax, co-founder of a whole lot of things, an author of Time Hacks, tech entrepreneur, angel investor, and keynote speaker. Welcome to the show, Jacques. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. So we kick off our show usually by asking the guests to tell us only five words that describe you. And then why those five words? Then we talk about your career journey. So what are your five words? In sentence format or making a list? Oh, you can make the list first. Okay, okay. So five words. So I would say excited, nervous, curious. Hmm. Supportive and let's see. I'm going to give you curious because I yeah. know that's one of your words that I would use to describe uh, you for sure. I'm, I'm going to give you ener an energized. So there, they'll have five excited, nervous, curious, supportive, and energized. Okay. So why excited? Well, I'm starting on this new journey to build a startup again. So I'm really looking forward to see maybe some things I can do the same and see if they're going to give me the same result. Maybe some things I'll tweak and see if they're going to be better. But I am, I guess that's more curious than excited. But the exciting part is just seeing what happens. Yeah, definitely. Well, I guess that goes hand in hand with nervous unless there's something else that's going on. No, that's that's basically it, right? Like I can I can be proven wrong and I am mostly excited to, you know, no matter what happens to whether it, it's what I expect or not what I expect, I can be pleasantly surprised as well. But there's always a little bit of self-doubt when you yeah. uh, start out something new. 
Yeah, definitely. It's always one of those things. You, it sounds like you're preparing for the best, but also the worst. <laughs> yeah. So whatever happens in between all. is good. <laughs> That's right. It's all good. It's all yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. So supportive. Well, I, I really, it's really interesting because now being, I've always been a CTO, always been the co-founder with, with other people for the most part. And I've, I've always had this personality of wanting to be in that support role, right? So whether it was in the community or in my startups or as, as part of the, the family, I, I see my success in being able to lift up others. So it'd be really interesting as a CEO, I mean, CEO should be supportive, right? If they're doing a good job, it's just, it's just maybe a different role than I'm used to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And being supportive, sometimes I think it's a challenge to even remember to do that to yourself. I don't know what you think about that, but you have to remember. Oh, that's very that. fair. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, always got to lift yourself up and go, okay, if nobody else is telling me this, I need to make sure I'm staying in a positive mindset, right? Mm. 100%. So the other word was energized. Yeah, I mean, I am a creator. You know, I like building things. And oftentimes when you build something to a certain scale, you're often, you know, trying to make a high velocity of decisions, but you're going to be encumbered by the complexity of your organization, the number of you know, things that have to happen to, to move, you know, a really big ship. Right. And so for me, I, I get energy from, from building and creating. And even though the things, the decisions that I make have a, have a huge impact, I'm a little bit, <clears throat> a little bit more removed, right. From the end result. And so I just get energized when I can get my hands on, on the thing. I can be on, you know, the, the, uh, the floor, so to speak with everyone else, really trying to, you know, carve, carve that path out. Mm. Well said. All right. So how did you get started in your career path? Did you go the traditional route of, you know, going to college or what was your journey like to where you are now? You can meander around as much as you want. <laughs> no, I mean, I did, I did go to college, but I did, I did not finish. So, and, you know, funny thing earlier uh, this year, I got an award uh, from, from UCF and, they, they had a kind of a, like a list of things and they couldn't put a number next to my name. So it was really interesting when they did the graphics for that uh, event. But, you know, I'm really proud of going to college. I think it was a great experience. I met a lot of people. I learned a lot about myself. But ultimately, I think, you know, I was already, you know, working, you know, in throughout college and, and prior I had taught myself to code, so I'd even switched majors because the type of, you know, computer science and engineering that they teach in college isn't necessarily exactly aligned with, at least at the time, was not aligned with, you know, what skills you needed in the actual workforce to create, you know, application, business applications to create software. And so, you know, I really saw college as, as a way to network, as a way to like, expose myself to topics and to subject matter ex experts that I normally wouldn't have. And I got really, really busy with, you know, the, the, with the business and other ventures that I had. And so I had to, I had to drop out, but I, I don't consider it a failure. I just, you know, I got what I needed out of it. So. Yeah, I would agree with you. I also think that 
college isn't necessarily needed for everyone. And especially in some career paths, computer science is the example. I, I don't think you have to go to college for that. I think you can absolutely be a self-learner on that end of it and accomplish quite a bit at probably a faster pace than what you would experience in going to school. Yeah, look, I mean, there are certain things I would say, very specific things that you probably do need to go to school for. We all know what those things are, right? Like if you want to be a doctor, <laughs> you right. should probably go to med school. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to practice law, you should probably go to law school, right? Those are There are certain things that our regulatory environment requires as well as we would like people to be at a certain, like almost the minimum guaranteed level of competence in certain things. But right. other things can't be measured in the same way. And, and I would say that's most things probably don't require a college education, but I would still probably say most people would benefit from the experience. I agree with you. I think if anybody needs a license or a certificate, like, you know, people in the nursing field, not just doctors, but anybody in the medical industry has to have a license or a certificate. Yes, they should. Insurance people, maybe, maybe not, but they still get certified to a certain extent, financial planners, people that are dealing with money as another example, right? And even people that, you know, are people that work in the automotive industry, to a certain extent, they have to have certificates, but it's very specialized. It's more of going to, I guess we'll call it blue collar. I don't know if they still call it that, but it's used to be called that, you know, anything that's a, a hands-on experience for sure. I appreciate you sharing that and also pointing that out. Many times people don't think about that, but what we get from going to college is usually that well-rounded experience. Like you were saying, you were seeing it as a way to network. Yeah, network. I got to, you know, I started a lot of things. You know, I started the Mixed Martial Arts Club at UCF. I was vice president of the Sports Club Council. We had like a million dollar budget to like figure out how to, you know, distribute it to all the athletic clubs and Got to meet a lot of people. I was a founder of a of a Asian fraternity. I I didn't I didn't finish the the process. I had to drop out part of the way through. But I was I was one of the original founders of a of a, of a fraternity. Yeah, it was it was a wonderful experience. And like I said, I wouldn't change anything about what happened. But yeah, I mean, you know, people ask me. No, I don't. I don't have a college degree. <laughs> So. Yeah. Yeah. But my mother didn't either. And she was extremely well read and she could hold her own against anybody in a room. And I know you can also. So no worries that. in that area. Yeah. You're extremely on top of everything. So what was your first job then? So, you know, really it was the family business had, we, we were doing real estate and I was trying to automate everything and scale the business. So I didn't realize it at the time, but I was kind of creating a precursor to all of these, you know, cloud-based CRM ERP systems, but basically anything in every process in, in the company, I was trying to figure out a way, like, how do we automate this? So it doesn't require people a very minimal amount of time. And so with real estate, it was, that was kind of a novel concept because everything was done with people back in 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 that time and i'm i guess i'm dating myself but like 2000 you know 2004 2005 you know time frame was really when things got busy for me in in that business and you know it was 
it was I was driving down to all the counties and downloading their publicly available data sets and centralizing in a database. I was putting it on a, I was mining that. And then, you know, we were sifting through uh, the leads using just algorithms that we had on, on where we felt we had the most success on getting a return on our investments. And that would automatically feed into a CRM where the salespeople would call against it. Then those leads would get converted uh, into accounts. Once we closed those customers, we did, we did mobile notaries. They have now remote ones that you can do over the digitally now over the computer. But back then, you know, we had, that was the closest thing I could get to automating that part of the process. So we did closing, we had in-house attorneys. I mean, everything, you know, end to end to do, to, to find uh, properties that we wanted to invest in and close on them. We had, we, we brought all those resources in-house and we automated everything in a, in a single cloud-based system, which was, I didn't, I didn't realize what I was building at the time, but it was incredibly valuable for me because I got to see, you know, every, I got to touch every aspect of the business operationally, you know, from sales all the way to accounting, finance. And that was, that was helpful for me as I continued my entrepreneur journey. So it was really good. So that's extremely valuable. The fact that you could automate so much was incredible and create those workflows too. What, what would a major be that's a similar to that? Or what is the skill set that people should look for? Because I want that person. I'm trying to figure out <laughs> yeah. who that person is. Is that a software engineer? Is it somebody in data analysis? I, I have no idea. That's a great question. A single major might be, I would say maybe the closest is, I think they still call it like MIS, Management Information Systems. Is that still a degree? So it's just sort of a blending of business technologies with information technology. And so you, you know, prerequisites for that degree, I believe include, you know, your basic accounting course, you know, finance courses, you might, you might take other business courses, but you're also taking, you know, IT administration courses, you're probably these days, you're, you're, there's some coding in there. So everything you need to sort of digest and understand what's happening at a business, and then the the uh, supplementary skills that you would need to automate or implement you know software and and tools and technology to accelerate or improve those processes so i would say yeah mis is if if i had to pick one again i don't even know if that degree is still a thing or yeah. popular anymore but that's sure. what i remember it, it being called yeah that's that's good i'm going to start i'm going to check into that and see if it is still out there i think it is i think i've seen it on some schools but it's normally think people are directed to go towards AI now. So I think that's really where the direction. Well, you know, I, and that's, that's great that if you're going to be working in that field and advancing AI, then, then that's what you should do. But really a lot of when it comes down to building great businesses, you're not really paving a new uncharted territory in your industry or your field, right? You're just you're just doing practical things. And so you know, having AI background is great, but if you don't understand accounting, if you don't understand how to do customer support, if you don't know how leads come into a business and how you acquire them and how you do product management or implement new features and functionality within within software or do your infrastructure, if you don't know any of those things, then the AI is going to have 
you know, more limited effect across an entire business. So, you know, me coming from a family of entrepreneurs, you sort of have to learn about everything. And so it was really hard for me to pick, you know, a single major that encompassed that. I didn't go into MIS directly. I did computer science and then I switched to, I switched to accounting. And so sort of, in essence, I sort of made my own version of that, if you will, a blending of Mm. business and and software engineering. Yeah, that was a smart move for you, for sure. So let's talk about where you continued on past that, you know, Let's talk about any anything that was in between there, but you can jump to stacks if you want. Yeah, so I did. I did try. I got. I got kind of got better and better at building tech tech startups. I did a, a reg tech company. We did Sarbanes Oxley compliance software. I didn't know anything about pricing, so I actually landed about five publicly traded companies as clients, but I wasn't really charging them enough for you know the software that I was offering. So we wound, you know, I wound down that business and, you know, had, had a different things, a few different things, did some consulting in the banking industry. And yeah, ultimately, you know, I, I think the, the, you know, the, the most success I had after that was at a co-founding company called SysRx. We built e-prescribing software. So that was a new challenge for me because, you know, healthcare was a completely new space for me. I had to learn a lot of different, you know, regulations and standards that were specific to that space. I had to become a a subject matter expert, but kind of apply everything that I I knew about business and technology. So that, that was a fun challenge, but, you know, I, I was kind of young. I I got bored, I guess, feeling like I was not, not being hands-on. And so when we, when we reached about a hundred employees, I wanted to to see what else was out there and I kind of wanted to start something new. I think in retrospect, I probably could have stayed longer. There was certainly more to learn, but you know, I, I hadn't grown anything to that size. And, and so it, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what else was out there. I, I met Sound Sonera, you know, my best friends now, but at a tech accelerator and we ended up merging our two startups which at the time was called into fat merchant. And now it is known as stacks. And so, you know, we built that company up through kind of an eight, an eight year journey and, and is now the first unicorn out of Orlando and, and the most recent as of this recording, I think. Mm, That's very impressive too, because I know we all live in the startup community here, at least you and I do. And it's a big deal because Orlando doesn't always get the recognition it deserves for being a STEM and a STEAM hub is what I'm going to call it, because we have a lot going on here. And I know you're involved with those things too. So if you want to segue to what you're doing now, that's pretty cool. So what is Sensaly? Oh yeah, so Sensaly is a e-learning platform. We plan to build a lot of AI capabilities into it. But basically, the main premise is that, you know, one one of the things and through all my background, you can tell, you know, I have a passion for entrepreneurship, and so I I have a a soft spot uh, as well for anyone who, you know, wants to go down that path. And I often get a lot of questions like, well, how do, how do I get started? You know, maybe they're, someone just has a day job and they're like, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't have, you know, necessarily the ability to raise capital or I don't even have an idea sometimes. And so after, you know, Stacks, we, we definitely work with a lot of entrepreneurs there. 
And I started to realize that, you know, not everyone is going to go down specific types of entrepreneurial paths, right? They may have physical disabilities where they can't be, you know, a, a plumber or a painter or something like that, right? Or maybe they, you know, they're not, they're more creative than technically minded. So maybe they're not going to become an engineer um, and, you know, build, you know, apps and things like that, right? Like not everyone is necessarily suited for that. There's other, you know, very important and wonderful skills that, that people have, and they're not all necessarily commercially translatable either. But what I think is, is possible is that I think everyone can be an entrepreneur. And I think pretty much everyone has something that they know that they're passionate about, that they probably know better than all of their friends. And they have a unique way based on their life experience to be able to share whatever it is that that hobby or topic or passion is with, with the rest of the world. So I believe that you know everyone can monetize the knowledge that they have. And to me, that is the the lowest common denominator that's going to help from a social impact standpoint. I think, you know, wealth is continuing to be concentrated at, at the, you know, higher and, and higher levels. And so I, I really feel like this is a way to help balance some of that in a scalable way, right? Because you make a course and you don't necessarily have to, you, you know, it's not like one-on-one -on -one tutoring, right? Like you can continue to scale your, your course business. You can, you can get more customers without having to give up more of your time. That's the leverage that, you know, successful business people have, right. Is they don't have to consume their time in order to grow their business. So anyway, so sincerely would be the platform where you can host those e-learnings. You can bill for them, basically a e-learning coaching business in a box. Wow, that sounds exciting. Something that is going to benefit people globally, honestly, is what I'm hearing. That's my hope. A million new entrepreneurs is, is the goal. Okay, I like that. So you have a book and it's called Time Hacks. Let's hear more about that book because I I have not read it. So full disclosure on that. So maybe there, I don't know if it's an ebook or something, but you know, if I can grab it. Yeah, it's an ebook. It was... I, I'm a huge believer in optimizing my time. It's 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 to the point where I know I'm wasting time trying to optimize my time. Like I know I'm not getting an ROI, so it's more of just like for fun at this point. But but yeah, the book is just sort of you know where to just put everything down on paper of all the things I've I've sort of tried that worked for me, and and maybe it works for other people out there. And then I try to we to weave in a little bit of techniques rather than just specific. So the bulk of the book is just specific tips, right? Whether it's at work or at home, different ideas on, on how to save time, just little shortcuts, right? Those only get you so far. Like really to make an impact, you need to decide what the goals are in your life that you want to accomplish. And you need to budget time against those things. It doesn't matter how many hacks you have. If you spend, if, if being with your family is important to you and you don't block out any time for it, you're not going to accomplish it. It doesn't matter how efficient you are at folding the laundry or, you know, or getting work done. It's just none of that matters. So there's, there's some technique in there and there's also a little bit of 
a perspective that I, I would like people to have. So I don't spend a lot of time talking about it in the book, but you know, one of the things if if we were right now to take a one minute break in silence on this show and the podcast right now in real time, people would be like, what's happening, right? Like there's, it mm. would feel like something was broken. And I think people don't realize how powerful a mi- even just one minute of time can be. And so they, and, and that was just my point around, you know, we waste a lot of time. Like I know people think like, oh, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. You ha- you have a lot of time. It's just that you have a lot of other things that you want to do and, and you're not necessarily prioritizing them. But we don't have to do that because people probably shut off your podcast and think it's broken if we were silent for a minute. But Maybe. I promise you, it is very difficult. And if you meditate, then then you you know this, but a minute is actually quite quite a decent amount of time. It sure enough is. Is that, what's the name of your podcast that builds on top of the book? Taking Your Time. Okay. So for our listeners, you can look for Taking Your Time out there. And I, I guess it streams on every channel or do you have a specific? Yeah, podcasts, you know, Apple, iTunes. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll be uh, Spotify. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good. So anything that helps to prioritize time is is obviously a good thing. I I agree with you. I've done that same type of an exercise where I go, okay, you know, do a I have on my desk, it's a five minute hourglass, but you know, it's not an hourglass, it's five minutes. And I'll turn that and I go, okay, what can I get done in five minutes? And it's surprising how much you can do. And sometimes I play that game with myself a lot. So I can go, okay, get this done, get this done, get this done. Just to beat the clock sometimes, but also to see how much time it does take, because it's a a good reminder. I'm going to look for your book. That's super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. If there's one tip and I don't even know if I put this in the book, but you know, really the time I, I, I should know this, but I can't remember the, the, the name of this principle, but you know, that time sort of the, the time we take for a task sort of expands to fill the amount that we allocate to it. Right. So I find that to be true about pretty much everything. Like I think any, almost any task that you can think of, it could be as mundane as washing the dishes, or even to some extent, you know, assignments that you have at work or school, you you know, you're probably taking more time than is necessary Mm -hmm. in almost every single case. Is it, is it because you want to hit a certain, like maybe there's a a perfection or maybe you don't want to rush yourself or you don't want to feel maybe stressed out about it. Some of those are self-inflicted things. So I think if you just give yourself somewhat of a deadline you can pretty much compress almost any task. And that's probably the best tip that I can give is just give yourself a little deadline and that will pretty much, you'll you'll do anything faster. Yeah, I like that too. And I guess I'll, I'll throw a tip on there too. For people that want to spend more time with their family, I don't know if you do this or not, but I would say plan on once a week cooking a meal together so it becomes a family event. I like that. Yeah, that Got makes it so that you're really spending time and having a different conversation. Everybody, when they're absorbed in a task, they're more likely to share things without feeling like it's forced. For sure. Yeah. So what is the hardest lesson that you learned that changed your life? Ooh, (laughs) I don't know if it's the hardest lesson, but the reality is I've gotten to a point where I sort of understand 
what what am I doing all of this for? Like, why am I trying so hard? Why am I trying to accomplish all these things? It has to be for yourself. It can't be for anyone else Mm -hmm. uh, because you're, you're, you know, that's a, that's a treadmill. You're never going to, you're never going to finish that race trying to make everyone else happy or trying to leave a legacy. Like those things almost can't be completed. And, and the very interesting thing about that is there, there's a story I'm actually, I tried researching it, so I'm not a hundred percent sure it's true, but it's a great allegory, which is, you know, there, there's an emperor of, of, of Rome. Some say it's Marcus Aurelius and they go to this, there's a, there's a cult of the emperor. So it's this group of people that, that worship whoever the emperor is as, as a godlike figure. And so they have this statue there that you know is is meant for you know you to honor the the emperor and that he visits at one time and notices that uh, there's a groove where the head's supposed to be and that's because even though this group you know basically reveres the emperor as as a god and you know ruler of everything that they also know that they'll still probably die at some point so they want to make life easy on themselves and make a statue that was it was easy to replace the head without having to rebuild, recarve the entire statue. <laughs> I, I don't know if this is true, but if it is, it would be incredibly clever, but also a great reminder. Like how many Roman emperors can you name? I mean, you you could probably, you could do Caesar. Right. Um, like you could, there, you come up with a few, but you probably can't name them all. And, you know, during their reigns, they were pretty much, you know, the the top of the food chain in their lifetime. And we we barely know who they are. Yeah. Um, everyone and, is replaceable. That's my takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, and I don't mean in a negative sense. And so I take it away from that. A positive thing is like, it does not matter. I could, I could be ruler of, you know, the, the United Nations. I know that's not a thing. I'm just saying like, yeah. it, it, you know, no one's going to remember it. I'm not going to leave a lasting impact on the on the earth in that sense. And so that means that I'm free to do things that make me happy or that make my family happy or that, you know, have have meaning to me. And, I, you know, I don't I guess the, the pressure to leave an everlasting legacy is sort of off my shoulders. You know, that's, that's really good. I like that approach too, because many times, gosh, social media is always just saying, you have to do this. You have to, I mean, there's that feeling, that pressure of constantly excelling and in comparison. And maybe it's like, not like that in other countries. Maybe it's just a U.S. thing, but the... That's very freeing. I really like that. I How like many people are out there right now just like having a rough time because they don't feel like they're as successful as so-and-so or they're behind oh. where they want to be in life. And maybe they're making even worse decisions, like they're lying or they're stealing or they're cheating and things like that because they want to achieve something that is just, it's ephemeral. It's not even really there. Yeah. You just have to remove that and just go, okay, it's okay. I'm just me. I am this microcosm right now and just enjoy the the time. We're you have super lucky to be alive, like in the scale of the universe, right? Like just to yeah. have this experience. So yeah, I love that. Okay. I, I feel like I'm breathing a little bit better too. Thanks for sharing that story. <laughs> yeah. So, Who in your life has had the biggest impact? 
Oh, I mean, my my wife and I've a funny story. I've known Yvonne, you know, since I was in fourth grade. We met in fourth grade. We did not date until high school, but you know, she's been with me for a long time. We've been married for for you know over a decade now, mm-hmm. but we've gotten a chance to experience a lot of things with each other because of that, right? Like we were together before we were adults and knew who we were going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and and we got to take part in each other's transformation. So I know for a fact that, you know, a, a large percentage of the makeup of who I am today is a, is a result of, of, you know, who Yvonne is and, and how she's, you know, had an impact on my life and, and, and vice versa. Right. And it just, it's just a great experience. And yeah, and that, that, you know, hands down, the, the greatest impact on my life. I, I've had a lot of interviews and I don't, I don't think anybody has ever said that their spouse, they usually say their kids or their parents. And I find it just so honoring to your wife that she has had that type of special place in your heart for her. So she's a very fortunate woman because apparently that's just not how other people in the world always see that it should be, you know, like, your spouse and then your kid. Well, well, here's the thing you buy, I think it's by age 18 or something. Statistically, you've spent 90% of all the time you ever yes. will with your parents, right? That's, that's yep. the, yep. right. Based that on how true. often you go visit and things like that. There's a, statistically, but the fact that, so, you know, maybe if you had asked me in my early twenties, I would have said my parents, but the reality is I've spent a lot more time with, with, you know, Yvonne than I have with my parents. So. Super cool. And our last question before we go to a break is what do you want to be remembered for? I kind of feel like you answered that with the the lesson of the emperor, but I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, if, if I could be briefly remembered for anything, then hopefully it's, you know, making, making people's lives easier. I hope to find other ways to do that. I think that there is something happening with the, the demographics of, you know, the U S in particular, where a lot of people are are leaning away from f- traditional faith and you know inst- institutionalized religion and i don't know if there are really good alternatives at the moment to replace sort of that sense of community and structure and and things like that so um hopefully you know that's that's something that i'd like to be able to to devote some resources to as well in the future oh that's very nice we're, we're going to take a, take a moment to acknowledge our sponsor, Transcend Network. Transcend Network helps early stage startup founders find product market fit through weekly experiments, receive fundraising support, and build a global founder investor network for ed tech and the future of work technologies. The Intern Whisperer is affiliated with Employers for Change, and we thank Transcend Network for being a sponsor of our show. And we're back to the second half of our show with Jacques Vu. We're going to be talking about what jobs and industries in 2030 might look like. What do you think 2030 is going to look like? Oh, so interesting because I sometimes I underestimate or I sometimes I overestimate how like the pace of obsolescence of certain technologies and they're still around and then, and then, of course, I underestimate how how new things will change. You know, my hope is that we're sort of by twenty thirty, we are kind of done with this battle of 
remote work versus in-person versus hybrid? I think the answer should just be, it depends on what the role is, right? And mm -hmm. if it, it, it can be done remotely and then most of the job should be remote. There's, you know, I think it's great to have the option to, to come in and, you know, have, have more, there's, there is a, a bit more energy, right? When you can collaborate with people in face-to-face, -face. but that doesn't mean that every single task and every single meeting has to be done face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. So I think hopefully that, that argument and that discussion is over and people realize it's, it's, you know, based on the context. And then I, I hope that there's, you know, maybe I think, I think everyone's going to be able to use AI without stigma in, in everything that they do. I mean, everything from, I, I believe that writers that don't use AI will, will also be sort of following, falling behind, but I don't necessarily think that I don't think it's going to replace people's jobs. It shouldn't, right? If, if they're doing a good job, then all it should do is enhance or accelerate the work that they do. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's my opinion. I think the final product still requires a person. I mean, graphic design has been moved away from people's hands for decades now, right? You used to only be able to draw or paint things. Now you right. right? Like we've had, we've had graphic design software for a long time now. Right. And and if they keep getting better and they keep getting more tools to do things and templates and all that, and still requires, you know, someone with, with an eye who kind of understands, you know, what is the person trying to accomplish? Who's the audience for? There's just, you know, until, until I guess the general intelligence, right? AGI, they call it. So artificial general intelligence truly comes along and we have sort of like a self-aware being, but even that is probably going to be designed modeled off of a person. I'm going on a huge tangent right now. My point is that I don't think anything replaces human intelligence. I think it enhances it. If your job is replaced by uh, AI, there probably there could be some things replaced by AI. It probably wasn't a worthwhile job anyway, in mm. my opinion. So yeah, just building on what you said, though, there is a place where People can use Canva, for example. You don't have to be a graphic designer. You didn't have to go to school, and Canva gives you all of these tools. I've seen people use it, and they do not have an eye for design. So right. no matter what it is that you give them, it's just like they still may not see it. They don't understand the principles of it. So I feel like, yes, I agree with you that you know AI should be there as a tool that we can use to better things and to save us some time. I don't feel like it's any different than the transformation of going from writing on stone to paper to the printing press to then we had the internet and now we have fast track. We have AI. Mm -hmm. how, how dare you take away my job of placing the letters out onto the machine so I can stamp it yes, down on right? a piece of paper. <laughs> like it's yeah. The typewriter, <laughs> remember, before the computers, yeah. there's all of these things. And so we've seen what happened with chat is it just made it so much easier to pull together. You don't have to research as hard. You can actually pull stuff out there, but you still need to fact check it because it doesn't mean it's right. There's bad Correct. stuff out there yep. in the internet world as easily as good stuff. So yeah, I agree with you on that one. So you addressed a couple of those questions. What do you think of low code, no code platforms, pilot, co-pilot X, you know, all of these things that are out there for software development career paths? 
I love all of it. I, I think things like Copilot are going to make it coding much more accessible for beginners. Cause a lot, I, I feel like I don't have any statistics on this, but I feel like a lot of software engineers get stuck not being able to advance because they don't get to that level of proficiency where they can actually create things. They sort of, they understand the syntax of the language, but they, they're not quite proficient enough to be able to, to create full applications. And I think tools like Copilot can help people get over that hump, whereas others who maybe before this tool existed may, may have just dropped out of that journey, mm -hmm. right? And gone on to you know, other, other branching career paths. And, and now they can sort of continue on. I think even with low code, no code is, I think that the future of software businesses is if there is a, you know, a, a problem that has yet to be, that needs, that, that can have a, a technology solution. Now we, we no longer, we, we can make fairly robust low code, no code apps to, to solve these without having a engineer. Do I think that ultimately, you know, a, a, a full, you know, product team with the engineers and the QA and all of that are going to be able to create something better? Sure. But if no one's creating it and you don't have the resources to hire them, then having, having these, these platforms that you can build these apps without having any knowledge of programming is, is going to allow you to, to potentially get to that first step and then, and then, you know, raise, raise some capital, get some revenue, things like that. So I, I'm a firm believer that there was a barrier in the past where it absolutely required an engineer to make an app. And now I think we're going to get past that. And yeah, maybe to make something more complicated or more sophisticated or more customized, that would still be true, but that would also take a lot more resources. So now you can, you know, you can start making revenue earlier. You can start prototyping an idea sooner, validating an idea sooner. You can just get basically get a lot farther than you could in the past. Mm, I agree with that. What, let's see, I'm looking through here. So what piece of advice would you like to leave as mentoring advice that you would pass on? And our audience is pretty wide. We're about like 22, 23 to about 65 plus, all different industries, a little bit more heavy on the male side than on the female side. What would you say to somebody just about life in general? You've shared some really good, you know, definitely tidbits and stuff, wisdom, but I want to know what what is the biggest takeaway that you would want to share? I think I accelerated my growth as a person by realizing that I didn't have to have a mentor that looked and acted a specific way. So this is a little bit meta of a question because, or a, a meta way of answering because this is like, if I'm mentoring someone, what would I say? But I would say that you don't, you need more than just one mentor. Right. And I think you should be open to what I, people have become my mentors over the years on certain things. And I never realized that they were, they were just people that I met in the community. We would have conversations about things that they knew about that I didn't know about. And, and after a while, you know, maybe they're my mentor in this kind of subject, or maybe they're my mentor as a parent because their kids were a little older than mine. So they're, you know, further along that journey. So there's all kinds of mentors. They have all come from all different backgrounds. And I don't think, you know, I think many people get stuck in the idea of, let me find that one person who has the life 
that I that I think I want. And I'll just, you know, I'll learn everything from them. But that's, you know, I think the better, the better way is to just get a lot of mentors. So I agree with that one also. I'm going to go back because I missed a question and I always like to hear people's answers to this. So what ethical dilemmas do you foresee going into 2030? Well, anything, um, pick anything, AI. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great, well, I think, I think I have to point to to generative AI because there's so many implications that we don't have right now, but it's going to be so easy to fabricate. I, I, this just happened, actually. I think a presidential campaign made a photo of another candidate that never happened. This is the first in history where, you know, a formal campaign essentially made a Photoshop, but they used generative AI to do it. So it's a lot more convincing, right, than than others. And some people might think that's real. And they can say it's a, uh, it's a, it's just an illustration. It's just a create, you know, creative thing all they want, but some people are still going to believe it, right? It's just, it's just kind of human, human nature. So, so there's just a lot of implications around the outputs of generative AI, how convincing they are. You talked about, you know, having to fact check, right? Right. It was another court case where it cited cases that never happened. That was like what was submitted into the arguments. It was like, oh, well, based on this precedent, well, that precedent doesn't exist. So, you yeah. know, that there's there's all these things happening right now. Um, so there's there's hallucinations. There's using it for, you know, if you will, prop- propaganda, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and and then there's also ethical considerations around the source data that is being used to train like the people who are right the doing this this you know lower level research and publishing these articles that these models are being trained off of they're not getting any credit for their work and they're you know creating these massive industries in in the future and they're and they're not you know they're not getting a piece of it so it's it's really interesting i saw something on twitter and it was this plane and it was done with 3D and it was a giant, you know, plane that would carry people like one of the big ones, whatever that is. I don't think it's a 747, but it was big and it was coming down and it looked like it was trying to land and then it got hit and it was rolling, rolling, rolling and falling apart. And I looked at it and I went, oh my God, this is horrible. Like this is real. It, it looked real. Then you know, when I was reading the comments and people may not read comments, oh, this is done with, with AI. This is not real. Don't think this is real. Wow. I know. And it's just like what you were saying about that political campaign. It's the same thing. People can put stuff out there and we're going to think this is real. You know, millions of people killed in India. Well, could that start? This is maybe an outcome wherever in the world. Could we have started a war because now what's being put out there. We were thinking it's weird, real, and and nobody's checking it. And then somebody just goes, oh, let's push a button. It looks real. Yeah. I mean, how easy would it be for Putin and his regime to create images of Ukrainian soldiers torturing people Mm -hmm. uh, or something like that? I probably shouldn't even say that. I'm giving someone an idea, right? Like like this is, you know... uh, uncharted territory for us as a society and how do we police this stuff 
I, I don't know. I, I think there's, you know, you can't, you, you have some liability if you shout fire in a, in a theater, right. And someone gets hurt, right. If we were to apply that to the internet, that would be unprecedented. And, and obviously also flying in the face of a lot of what we've built an open internet on, right. right. The ability to, you know, have, have all types of content and not be uh, suppressed. Right. Yeah. Black web. Um, just yeah, saying. but then but then you get the dark web and yeah, so I think I think those things are those things are happening and this those I I don't know if that there's very many straightforward yeah solutions. So yeah, really have to think about that. Well, I want to say it's been a pleasure having you as a guest. I love this conversation. It's been in a direction that I haven't had before with some other guests, and so I appreciate the spontaneity of the conversation for sure. And the fact that, you know, we're, we're having it as hopefully a lesson for people to, you know, really think about, you know, can we do this? Should we do, do this as part of that last close? I hope so. Yeah. Being wise is everything. Well, Jacques, thank you so much. I will talk with you again soon. Thank you. Okay. We want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and thank you to our production team, Leona Blair, video editing intern, and also music by Sophie Lloyd. Be sure to visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusion culture while skilling your people for the future. Thank you for supporting The Intern Whisperer by subscribing to us on Podbean, our Employers for Change YouTube channel, or stream from your favorite podcast channel. And our show is brought to you by Employers for Change. Thank you. <laughs>